Hello and welcome to the sermon podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Fort Lauderdale. I'm Nick Merchant, one of the pastors here. This is the final installment in a three-part series entitled Counterintuitive Jesus. In this week's text from Mark chapter 10, Jesus is questioned by the Pharisees about divorce. The Pharisees are not merely inquiring. Their questions are driven by an issue with socio-political ramifications. How will Jesus respond? And what does his response mean for us today? I'm looking forward to digging into another challenging teaching of Jesus together. These last few weeks and in this this fall, we've begun talking about these 30 core competencies. We've been using it as a rubric to gauge our spiritual formation, as a way to take something that can be really abstract and to be able to go, how am I doing? And where do I need growth? These 30 areas divided into three distinct categories of knowing, doing, and being. Because what we know determines what we do, and what we do will influence who we become and how we interact with this world as a church. And over these last couple of weeks, we've spent time wrestling with some difficult pieces of scripture out of the Gospel of Mark, following along in the Revised Common Lectionary selections for the Gospel readings. We've been beginning to understand and ask the question, who is Jesus? And friends, I've been really thankful for your willingness to dig into some hard texts. Because as we wrestle with what is in this beautiful book, this collection of ancient texts, more than 2,000 years old from over 6,000 miles away, written in three different languages, we can expect to struggle to understand what it is that God is revealing about God's self, what God is revealing about God's people, and how it is that we are to behave. We believe that this ancient text is God-breathed, that it's a gift to us. And so, we don't get to just pick and choose the parts that we like. We don't get to just pick and choose the the parts that are affirming, that make us comfortable. We have to deal with it in total, with all of it. We've got to wrestle with it. I've shared this story with with a couple of you before, but my Old Testament professor would say, or excuse me, would, would use the story of Jacob in the book of Genesis wrestling with God to talk about doing this, this process of working with the scripture. You see, in the book of Genesis, Jacob encounters this man who it turns out is God. And all night long, Jacob and this man are wrestling. And Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go until you give me a blessing. 
And two things come out of this event. Jacob walks away with a blessing, but he also walks away with a limp. It says that God twisted his hip so that Jacob, Jacob would limp there after. And I believe that's instructive to us here because as we wrestle with this text, though it may say things that makes us uncomfortable, that we may walk away limping a little today. I also ask that we would walk away with God's blessing. And so, let's begin with some prayer because I think we need it today. Lord God, as you spoke long ago through the voices of your prophets, speak to us here. Speak to us now through the power of your spirit and the promise of your son. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we're going to jump right into the book of Mark in chapter 10. I invite you to open up in the Bibles that you've brought from home or you can follow along here. Beginning at verse 2. The gospel writer says, some Pharisees came and to test him, they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Then in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them, and the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Over these last couple weeks, I've used this image of chewing in order to refer working with Scripture, that we need to chew on it. And I'm afraid today that if we don't chew carefully, we might choke. So let's chew carefully and intentionally on this word of God. Because Jesus comes out swinging. Now there are three distinct scenes in today's text, and we'll look closely at each. Because collectively, they instruct us regarding God's intention for the world, the consequences of living in opposition to those intentions, and how it is that we are called to respond 
to the grace provided by God through Jesus Christ. God's intention for the world, the consequences of living in opposition to those intentions, and how we're called to respond to what God has done through Jesus Christ. So let's look at this first scene of Jesus with the Pharisees. What do the Pharisees want? What do they want? In this interaction, it's important to note that the Pharisees do not come honestly to this conversation. The Pharisees don't say, Jesus, we've really been praying about this portion of scripture or this socio-political issue. We've really been struggling to understand how best to honor God in our marriages. No. In fact, the word that, that the gospel writer uses here, he says, the Pharisees came to test Jesus. And as we've talked about these last few weeks, we really need to understand what was going on in this time, in this place, around this issue. It was just four chapters earlier in Mark 6 where John the Baptist is beheaded. Do you remember when we talked about that just a couple of months ago? And in that, we learn that John the Baptist is arrested by King Herod. And what is he teaching? It says that he's teaching Herod that he was wrong to have divorced his wife. It goes further and says that his new wife was wrong for divorcing her husband. And it says that King Herod kept him in prison because he didn't like what he was saying. In fact, it goes further to say that Herodias, King Herod's new wife, has him executed for his teachings on divorce. So this is the the climate in which this is all happening in this region. This issue of divorce already is pretty sensitive. The Pharisees are doing one of these. It's a hand grenade, right? It would be tantamount to if somebody in here said, Nick, tell me what your feelings are about standing during the national anthem. There's, right? There's so much more in that. You're not really asking me that question. You're asking about a whole lot of other issues that are now attached to that question. The Pharisees are doing the exact same thing here to Jesus. They're not simply asking for interpretation of the law. It's a setup. And so Jesus responds as Jesus does by first asking, what did Moses teach And they said, they respond in verse 4 saying, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. They quote from Deuteronomy chapter 24. The law. And Jesus responds by going back further. Jesus responds by going back before the law. To the creation of the world. To the first couple of chapters of the Bible to God's creation of relationship, of marriage. And concludes it by saying, therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. The Pharisees approached Jesus with this legalistic question. 
And rather than engage it the way that they desire, Jesus does something else. Jesus talks about and teaches about God's original intention for the relationship. In other words, the Pharisees are coming to Jesus and asking, what can we get away with? And Jesus won't entertain that. He steps around their question and points to God's intention for the relationship. Jesus says, look, here is what marriage is. It's a gift given to us out of the goodness of God. Jesus directs us back to the perfect goodness of God every time that we try and turn our faith into a set and series of do's and don'ts. Tim Keller, in his book, Reason for God, addresses the top 10 objections to the Christian faith. And one of those top 10 objections is this concept that Christianity is a straitjacket. And friends, that does not come from Scripture that comes from us. We time and again try and reduce our faith to a series of do's and don'ts, and more frequently, simply to a list of don'ts. When Jesus is challenged with what are the two greatest commandments, how does he respond? He says, Love God and love your neighbor. He doesn't say, Don't do. And better not do. Jesus replies in the affirmative. Love God and love neighbor. So a better measuring tool for our behaviors is will this behavior help me to love God? And will it help me to love my neighbor? As opposed to what we usually do, which is, well, it's not hurting anybody else. Our high school students come with the question, how far is too far? You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) It's the wrong approach to relationship. It's a pharisaical approach to what God created. The peace, the shalom, the gift that we are supposed to and called to live into. And we try and reduce it to don't do this and don't do that. When we approach the book, this book and the gospel with those same questions, Jesus says, no, don't do that. Because when you do that, you're missing the point. And when we misunderstand God's intention for creation... When we live in opposition to it, there can be consequences. In fact, there are consequences. But not in the way that you think. Jesus explains this further in, season, in scene two. Season two. Too much Netflix. 
Jesus explains this further. <laughs> we needed some levity, right? Uh, in scene two of today's text, we find Jesus and the disciples later in the house. And you can almost see the wide-eyed disciples as they come to him in private and they go, wide-eyed, can you talk about the divorce thing again? Explain to us exactly what you meant. Now that we're by ourselves, will you say a little bit more about that? And how does Jesus respond? Let me read for you again verses 11 and 12. He said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Are you choking yet? (laughs) Jesus doubles down. Our hope is that if we are careful, and that is if we are honest, in private, Jesus is going to explain this away in some manner that softens the blow. Jesus is going to turn the phrase finally, right? And we're going to get what he really means by all of this. And if, we're, if we aren't careful in reading this, if we don't take the time to turn this over, it would seem that Jesus ratchets up the judgment Because we will tend to read Jesus' statement, as commentator Lamar Williamson puts it, as prescriptive rather than descriptive. This is a key, key piece in this text. If we're not careful, we will read Jesus' comments as prescriptive as opposed to descriptive. Jesus here, alone with the disciples, describes what happens In divorce. He doesn't describe a legalistic transaction. He doesn't say, if you do this, then you will suffer this punishment. But Jesus describes what happens in divorce, in broken relationships. We live in a time where everyone in this room has somehow been touched by divorce, by broken relationship, by a twisting of what God had originally intended in the gift of marriage. And I don't want to hurry past that. I want to sit in that for a moment. Because we need to wrestle with the reality of what it causes heartache despair depression brokenness the list goes on and and, and friends you need to be careful because Jesus says don't divorce there are broken relationships It's why it's in Deuteronomy that it's allowed. But Jesus doesn't want to talk about what is allowed. What Jesus wants us to focus on is what happens. Just because it is allowed by the law, it doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. That when we don't live into God's original intention for things, there are consequences. We worship a God who can redeem that and move out of that. But Jesus here points to the truth 
that even if it's allowed, it hurts. And this happens every time that we fall short of loving God and neighbor. When we sever this shalom, this peace of God, what are those areas in your life that are broken? I'm not talking about where you did something wrong and you got caught and you got punished. In fact, I find in my own life, it's those things that nobody knows about. The punishment has nothing to do with the heart knowledge that I've broken with the peace of God in some area or some way. And I am grateful that we worship a Jesus that moves the conversation from legalism to gift and grace. Jesus says, truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter into it. Though there are consequences, we worship a God who freely wishes to give us grace. Last week I mentioned that Pew Research uh, indicated that 73% of Americans believe that their lot in life will be whatever they make it. In other words, we have control over where we end up, which is a good thing, we would say, but it also hinders our ability to receive free grace. It is so hard for us to understand that we do nothing to deserve it, that we need to do nothing for it to be offered to us. We have but to receive it. John Wesley famously says, nothing is more repugnant to capable, reasonable people than grace. Isn't that a great quote? Nothing is more repugnant to capable, reasonable people than grace. For some reason, we approach Christianity so often. Well, let me say this first. You know, when I read the parables, when I read stories of Jesus, I... I often like to put myself in the place of the blind man, right, who can now see, or the prodigal son, right, who did everything wrong but then was redeemed, was accepted home by the father, finally turned away, and yet if we're honest, I believe that we approach our faith like Pharisees. We want to know the lists of do's and don'ts. We desire a Jesus who affirms our behaviors. Jesus says he won't do that. But that he'll redeem our whole person if we'll receive it. How will you approach Jesus? Because perspective is everything. This last week, Chandler Gelb, our director of youth ministry, who was just up here doing a brilliant children's sermon, she talked to us in staff about perspective. 
And she did it with this brilliant illustration. She first showed us this picture of chalk art. And this is a chalk artist. And it's a work that's drawn out on a street. And when you see it from this perspective, it is distorted. You can see a face, but it's difficult to know really what's happening. It's only when we approach this picture from the proper perspective that we see it as the artist intended. When we approach this book, this sacred and ancient text from the wrong perspective, with wanting to know what we can and can't do, what we can and can't get away from, what we come away with is a distorted perspective of the gospel, of God's free grace that is given to us. But if we will come to it as Jesus intends, if we come to it with a knowledge that what God wants to give us is free, I believe that we will find something beautiful, something surprising, something that was there all along. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. 